I don't think it's any secret how much I love children, how thrilled I am that we have an every Sunday children's zone right over here and that part of what gets to happen is I get to be hugged and kissed and grabbed by our kids. Um, I've got uh, four niece nephews, uh, two are in their 20s and two are under 10. My little nephew RJ, when he was five, one time I went home to Chicago to visit my parents right while my mom was still alive, right before she died. And we were in my home church and RJ, Rodney Jr., RJ was staring at the stained glass windows and I hadn't noticed, but they are the same windows in my childhood church as are in this church. So I was like, wow. So I started staring as well. So RJ's looking and his dad is explaining. So this one right here, RJ, this is the one where Jesus's mommy, Mary, is holding him and the wise men are visiting. And I was just like, ooh, you know, Christmas, ooh, I get that. Then he says, and this one, this one right here is where Jesus is get welcoming all the children. And RJ says, ooh, all the children, that's really great. He says, wait a minute, Daddy. But wait a minute, though. If Christmas is little Jesus's birthday, when is big Jesus's birthday? <laughs> He didn't understand. <laughs> Little baby Jesus grows up to be big baby Jesus. So all of that adoration, all of those angels singing from realms of glory and all the gifts that the wise men bring and all that love that baby Jesus gets. By the time we get to the end of this story, big Jesus is about to be thrown off a cliff and killed. How did that happen? Well, We've been tracking Jesus' story since Christmas time. He's been born, he's been circumcised, poor baby, he's been named in a naming ceremony, he's been bar mitzvahed, he's teaching in the temple, all the elders are like, woo, he's so smart. He gets baptized in the River Jordan. The Spirit of God says, this is my son. He's been identified and fingerprinted, I mean identified as the one who's the son of God. He's gone out in the wilderness. Ha ha, you were listening. He's gone out in the wilderness. He's been tempted by the devil and now still full of the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us. He's about to do something new in his ministry. So he goes in the synagogue, as was the custom, reads the scroll, as Leon so aptly preached to you, and, and is quoting Isaiah. The Spirit of God is upon me. I'm here to preach good news to the poor to preach liberty to all who are captive, to preach sight to the blind, to, to declare God's jubilee, the day of the Lord. All debts paid, everything wiped off the slate, all broken people healed, all blind eyes see, all oppressions ended, that's what I'm doing. And today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. They are so excited because the son of their people is back home. This is Joseph's boy. This is Mary's kid. His, his auntie lives in the neighborhood still. He used to be a toddler right over there and play with, you know, with Justin and them. And now he's back home, um, you know, preaching this good news. All the stories they've heard about him out around the way, healing people, making, making you know, turning water into wine, doing miracles every which way, back home in his hometown of Nazareth. This is so wonderful because we've been waiting for him to come back and bless us, free us, liberate us. 
And I love paraphrasing the Bible. So it's like, hey, Jesus, yo, you're back. This is so good. What's up, homie? Yeah. Jesus starts saying things like, uh, well, you know, prophets are welcome everywhere except in their hometown. And they're like, what are you talking about? And the next things he says, which we didn't have Leon and Michael read, are this kind of break with expectations. I am not here just for y'all. This, this goodness, this love, this liberation, this is for all of the poor people, not the poor people in Nazareth. This is for all of the captive people, not the captive people in Galilee. This freedom, this oppression release is for all of the people, not just the Jewish people in Palestine. This thing God is doing is for everybody. And I told Bertram earlier, I, I've read this story a million times, but I really didn't get it. Like, I was like, well, why are they trying to throw him off a cliff? What are they so mad about? And then it hits me in a sad space. They're angry because they don't really want this goodness to go past their tribe. They're furious because they don't really want God's liberating love to be for somebody that's not like them. They don't want to belong to a club in which everybody's welcome. Oh man, those Nazarenes, Bertram, all clubby and elitist and trying to close the door. Thank God we're not like that, right? <laughs> Middle people. Thank God we, modern people of faith, never, ever want to keep God to ourselves. Thank goodness we've grown up, we've outgrown the sense of, I don't know, colloquialism or like God isn't on your team, God's only on my team or Gosh, I'm so super relieved that the church today doesn't think that it has God in her pocket all to herself. She knows God's love is for the whole world. Not so much. Even the best of us, even the very, very best of us, often, too often, feel so nervous and anxious about the world, that we want to keep the good, loving thing that we have found all to ourselves. When we were teenagers, we would have said all to our dammies. I hope it's okay to say that on, 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 in the world. Like, it's mine. I'm the one. We're the ones to whom God has come and shown favor. We're, we're the ones who are chosen by God to be blessed and heal the world. We don't want to share the God of love in the world because we want to keep that to ourselves. And even in our kind of liberal spaces where we think that's not really logical, of course God loves everybody. The lives we live, the systems in which we participate, the way of the world proves otherwise. So I wanna say the church, not you beautiful people, middle family, not y'all. But the church, the capital C church, isn't quite ready 
for the liberating word of God, the spirit that is in Jesus saying this, this liberation, this eye-opening, this oppression-lifting grace is for all of us. We're not quite ready for that. If we were ready, the United Methodist Church wouldn't be about to break up. They are about to break up, divide up the churches. These bishops go over here, these bishops go over here. Why? Well, in the rubric of tradition or let's say authority of scripture, they just cannot imagine that God's liberating word is also for the LGBTQ community. Still, today, in 2019, despite scientific evidence, I love scientific evidence, Despite the fact that the American Psychiatric Association in a 2016 study wrote and said and stand by, the latest and best scientific evidence shows that sexual orientation and expressions of gender identity occur naturally and pose no threat to societies in which they're accepted as normal variants of human society. There is a strong, come on, there's a strong evidence that genes play a role in the determination of sexuality. Further, there is no scientific evidence that either homosexuality or heterosexuality is a free will choice. Now, the reason I'm whipping some science out into the theological sphere is because I know some of you, because you tell me, are being your heart, yep, 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 everybody. God loves everybody. But somewhere back here in the back of the mind is the stuff you learned in Sunday school. Somewhere back here in the back of the mind is like, but somebody told you that it was an abomination. You don't know where that said in the scripture, but you feel obligated to quote it because somebody told you. You, don't even, you can't even spell abomination, some of us will be like, but, but it's an abomination. That's why I learned it was abomination. And there's like, I don't know, where is that? I don't, I don't know, but I think it says it in the Bible. And so we're not even, stand, not even sure of ourselves. We're parroting what we've heard. We're, 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 we're saying things that we learned when we were little people and we haven't let it go enough to feel confident and stand in no love is love is love. So I'm bringing you some science. Not just the theology, not just that Jesus full of the spirit proclaims liberty to all the people. Not just that Jesus never says the word gay ever, but some science backing up. The church has to be ready to stop having in our shadow some kind of way like gay, trans people are secondary citizens. Because if it's back here, it'll leak up here. And if it's back here, when somebody else is talking about, you know, continuing to outlaw folks in the military who are trans, we're like, mm -hmm. I don't agree totally, but the scripture says. You understand what I'm telling you? We, we, we have to have an exegetical critique of that kind of word that feels antithetical to the full love of God for all of God's people. Somebody say amen. amen. We're not quite ready. Middle church, you're ready. But the capital C church isn't quite ready to believe that the liberative word of God is actually fully for all people of color and especially the capital C church isn't ready to fully believe in the full humanity of black and brown people. Well. That gets less claps because I know it's awkward. 
But if I tell you how many meetings I still, I am still in so many meetings with white people who will not look at me when they're talking. And I'm not talking about looking at my girls, that happens. But I'm talking about not looking at me, period, when they're talking. And that what I have said out loud, smart, brilliant, whatever it might be, has to be affirmed first by a couple white boys before it can come out of my mouth and be believed. And that's just an anecdote. But our, but our but the capital C church still participates in systems and structures of racism, which means we, which means we put in the world in the viral in the air that black children are to be feared and they're not that smart. Not only that, the capital C church participates in structures and systems that keep poor people that are black people poorer than poor white people. Did you did you stay with me on that? If the median income in the United States is $55,000, by the way, no money, but the median income for a black family of the same size is $36,000. That's a $20,000 despair. And that disparity is just about blackness. It's about never, ever catching up because chattel slavery treated us like animals. Anti-black racism is such a part of the church, the church can't even get with it. Did you know that there was a slave Bible in which the Exodus story was taken out? Do you know that there are still white preachers who think that black people are somehow the, the, the scorn of Cain and deserve their plot in life? Do you understand how much racism against black people is hardwired into religion, into Christianity? We have to liberate ourselves from that shadow. We have to free ourselves from the little bit of something that lets us whisper, why don't they get over it? Or things are so much better. Or look at Oprah. Or, yeah. The liberating word of Jesus Christ comes for all the people, which includes all the people, which includes the black people, the boy with his pants down, the girl named Shaniqua, who if she puts Shaniqua on her resume, won't get a job, all of those people belong to God, and the liberating word is for them. Somebody say amen. amen. We're not ready. We're not ready. The church, the capital C church, not us, the capital C church is not ready. Did you see the little boy with the, MA, with the MAGA hat on? Were you so embarrassed and mortified at the way he was encountering that elder, the Native American elder? Did you see how the white Sorry, white people. The white media jumped in to help him have a little story. That, did anybody believe that story? Who, did anybody, do you know anybody who believed that story? Does anybody of your relatives, you, do you know somebody? Who, let's have a talk, Bob. Let's do an intervention with them. Who, who believes that story? Only people who need to believe that story. And, and, and I'm sorry, that little boy, it's not his fault. Okay, it's a little bit his fault. But, when we live in a nation that blesses such derision and horrible speech, and our little children learn to watch it, see it, do it, imitate it, it's no wonder that there's not less of that in the streets. Because we don't take it on and we don't teach them by the way to love as love is love. Amen? Native American folks that are indigenous brothers and sisters who live on patches of land that we have the nerve to call reservations, 
The women in those communities have a 10 times higher murder rate than anybody else in the country. And when those women disappear or when they're snatched out of their homes, they can't even, they, they are disappeared three times. They disappear out of their families, they disappear out of their people land, and they disappear out of the stats. You can't even track the stats on missing Native American people. That ain't right. Somebody say that ain't right. We're not ready. The church isn't ready. The capital C church isn't ready to expect, expand our understanding of God's grace and love to all the people everywhere. We're not ready. We're still somehow believing, guys, these old messages. I, I got them. When I was a little girl, I grew up in a nice little African-American family from the South. And we heard that Jesus was the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And nobody comes to God but through Jesus. We heard that about 300,000 of us were going to go to heaven, and our job was to get there, to be good enough, kind enough, special enough to parachute out of the earth and into heaven when we died. We heard that. And we didn't know as little people that we were participating in some system that would someday oppress Jewish people. Are you, are you nodding with me? We didn't understand then that we were the only way, then that meant somebody else wasn't the way, and that that was going to put anti-Islamic sentiment in the world and cause women to be harassed about being hijab and little Muslim kids to feel hated and low. We didn't, we didn't understand that the only way, the only truth, and the only life led to holocausts. We didn't understand that when Christianity gets smashed into white nationalism, it leads to a global horrors against all kinds of people who are not straight and white and Christian. We didn't understand that. Well, we know that now. I'm responsible now to exegete my stuff. I'm responsible now to analyze my life and to make sure that I let go of texts of terror that are meant no harm, but harm anyway. I'm responsible for the shadow of my theology that'll make my gay friends feel some kind of way sideways a little bit, like not quite in the middle of the norm, that, that's the same little shadow that can, you can pistol whip Master Shepherd to death. This is our responsibility, is to grow up our faith. The Spirit of God is upon all of us to preach good news to all the poor, to preach liberty to all the captives, to give sight to all the blind, to, to, to wipe out the debts of everybody, to start over, to make a fresh start, to make a new world, a whole new world, a brand new world of love and justice and peace because we get to the ground of our being, which is simply love. I feel like every Sunday between now and the end of time, I'm going to be saying some version of this. Please don't throw me off a cliff. <laughs> but this is it, dudes. What this is it? Women and men of God? We don't... We cannot hold on to our old understandings of what it means to be a person of faith. It doesn't work. 
What works is to strip it all down and get to be Christian again. Let's make the church Christian again. And what I mean by that is make it the teachings of Jesus, perhaps for the first time. That's what I'm talking about. I'm standing up for Jesus' teachings. I'm not standing up for empire. I'm not standing up for supremacy. I'm not standing up for anti-Semitism or xenophobia. I'm not standing up for homophobia and transphobia. I'm not standing up for sexism. I'm standing up for the teachings of Yeshua ben Joseph, Mary's boy, Jesus' child, my rabbi. No room for anti-Semitism in that. No room for bigotry and hatred in that. No room for somebody got so much money they can't count it and people are hungry. No room for that. No room for that. So y'all, our job, our job, to be at the dinner table having this conversation, to be in the classroom having this conversation, to be on a date having this conversation, to question and push and shove and articulate and say, what about love? But the, nope, but what about love? But the, nope, but what about love? Because <laughs> that's the bottom line. Amen. Amen.